This audio is presented by Hacker Noon, where anyone can learn anything about any technology. My First Pond by Jean-Henri Fabre Insect Adventures by Jean-Henri Fabre and Louise Hasbrook Zim is part of the Hacker Noon book series. You can jump to any chapter in this book here. My F-I-R-S-T-P-O-N-D-C-H-A-P-T-E-R-I My First Pond I am never tired of looking in a pond. What busy life there is in that green world. On the warm mud of the edges, the frog's little tadpole basks and frisks in its black legions. Down in the water, the orange-bellied newt steers his ways lowly with the broad rudder of his flat tail. Among the reeds are stationed the little fleets of the caddis worms, half protruding from their tubes, which are now a tiny bit of stick and again a tower of little shells. In the deep places, the water beetle dives, carrying with him his extra supply of breath, an air bubble at the tip of the wing cases and, under the chest, a film of gas that gleams like a silver breastplate. On the surface, the ballet of those shimmering pearls, the whirligigs, turns and twists about. Hard by, there swims the troop of the pond skaters, who glide along with side strokes like those which the cobbler makes when sewing. Here are the water boatmen, who swim on their backs with two oars spread crosswise, and the flat water scorpions. Here, clad in mud, is the grub of the largest of our dragonflies, so curious because of its manner of moving. It fills its hinder parts, a yawning funnel, with water, spurts it out again and advances just so far as the recoil of its water cannon. There are plenty of peaceful shellfish. At the bottom, the plump river snails discreetly raise their lid, opening ever so little the shutters of dwelling. On the level of the water, in the glades of the water garden, the pond snails take the air. Dark leeches writhe upon their prey, a chunk of earthworm, thousands of tiny, reddish grubs, future mosquitoes, go spinning around and twist and curve like so many graceful dolphins. Yes, a stagnant pool, though but a few feet wide, hatched by the sun, is Animant's world, a marvel to the child who, tired of his paper boat, amuse himself by noticing what is happening in the water. Let me tell what I remember of my first pond, which I explored when I was seven years old. We had nothing but the little house inherited by my mother, and its patch of garden. Our money was almost all gone. What was to be done? That was the stern question which father and mother sat talking over one evening. Do you remember Hoppo my thumb, who hid under the woodcutter's stool and listened to his parents overcome by want? I was like him. I also listened, pretending to sleep, with my elbows on the table. It was not blood-curdling designs that I heard but grand plans that set my heart rejoicing. Suppose we breed some ducks, says mother. They sell very well in town. Henry would mind them and take them down to the brook. And we could feed them on the grease from the tallow factory, which they say is excellent for ducks, and which we could buy for a small price. Very well, says father, let's breed some ducks. There may be difficulties in the way, but we'll have a try. That night I had dreams of paradise. I was with my ducklings, clad in their yellow suits. I took them to the pond. I watched them have their bath. I brought them back again, carrying the more tired ones in a basket. A month or two after the little birds of my dreams were a reality. There were 24 of them. They had been hatched by two hens, of whom one, the big black one, was an inmate of the house, while the other was borrowed from a neighbor. To bring them up, the big, black hen is enough, so careful is she of her adopted family. At first everything goes perfectly. A tub with two fingers depth of water serves as a pond. On sunny days the ducklings bathe in it under the anxious eye of the hen. Two weeks later, the tub no longer satisfies. It contains neither cresses crammed with tiny shellfish nor worms and tadpoles, dainty morsels both. The time has come for dives and hunts among the tangle of the water weeds, and for us the day of trouble has also come. How are we, right up at the top of the hill, to get water enough for a pond for our broods? 
In summer, we have hardly water to drink. Near the house there is only a scanty spring from which four or five families besides ourselves draw their water with copper pails. By the time that the schoolmaster's donkey has quenched her thirst and the neighbors have taken their provision for the day, the spring basin is dry. We have to wait four and twenty hours for it to fill. No, there is no place there for ducklings. There is a brook at the foot of the hill, but to go down to it with the troop of ducklings is dangerous. On the way through the village we might meet murdering cats, or some surly dog might frighten and scatter the little band, and it would be a puzzling task to collect them all again. But there is still another spot, part way up the hill, where there is a meadow and a pond of some size. It is very quiet there, and the place can be reached by a deserted footpath. The ducklings will be well off. What a day it was when I first became a herdsman of ducks. Why must there be a drawback to such joys? Walking on the hard stones had given me a large and painful blister on the heel. If I had wanted to put on the shoes stowed away in the cupboard for Sundays and holidays, I could not. I had to go barefoot over the broken stones, dragging my leg and carrying high the injured heel. The ducks, too, poor little things, had sensitive soles to their feet. They limped, they quacked with fatigue. They would have refused to go any farther towards the pond if I had not, from time to time, called a halt under the shelter of an ash. We are there at last. The place could not be better for my birdlets, shallow, tepid water, with a few muddy knolls and little green islands. The pleasures of the bath begin at once. The ducklings clap their beaks and rummage here, there, and everywhere. They sift each mouthful, throwing out the clear water and swallowing the good bits. In the deeper parts they point their tails into the air and stick their heads under water. They are happy, and it is a blessed thing to see them at work. I too am enjoying the pond. What is this? On the mud lie some loose, knotted, soot-covered cords. One might take them for threads of wool like those which you pull out of an old ravelly stocking. Can some shepherdess, knitting a black sock and finding her work turn out badly, have begun all over again and, in her impatience, have thrown down the wool with all the dropped stitches? It really looks like it. I take up one of those cords in my hand. It is sticky and very loose. The thing slips through my fingers before they can catch hold of it. A few of the knots burst and shed their contents. What comes out is a black ball, the size of Apen's head, followed by a flat tail. I recognize, on a very small scale, a familiar object, the tadpole, the frog's baby. Here are some other creatures. They spin around on the surface of the water and their black backs gleam in the sun. If I lift a hand to seize them, that moment they disappear, I do not know where. It's a pity. I should have liked much to see them closer and to make them wriggle in a little bowl which one should have put ready for them. Let us look at the bottom of the water, pulling aside those bunches of green string from which beads of air are rising and gathering into foam. There is something of everything underneath. I see pretty shells with compact whorls, flat as beans. I notice little worms carrying tufts and feathers. I make out some with flabby fins constantly flapping on their backs. What are they all doing there? What are their names? I do not know and I stare at them for ever so long, held by the mystery of the waters. At the place where the pond dribbles into the nearby field, are some elder trees, and here I make a glorious find. It is a beetle, not a very large one, oh, no. He is smaller than a cherry stone, but of an unutterable blue. The angels in paradise must wear dresses of that color. I put the glorious one inside an empty snail shell, which I plug up with a leaf. I shall admire that living jewel at my leisure, when I get back. Other things call me away. The spring that feeds the pond trickles from the rock, cold and clear. The water first collects into a cup, the size of the hollow of one's two hands, and the end runs over in a stream. These falls call for a mill. That goes without saying. I build one with two bits of straw, 
crossed on an axis, and supported by flatstones set on edge. The mill is a great success. I am sorry I have no playmates but the ducklings to admire it. Let us contrive a dam to hold back the waters and form a pool. There are plenty of stones for the brickwork. I pick the most suitable. I break the larger ones. And, while collecting these blocks, suddenly I forget all about the dam which I meant to build. On one of the broken stones, in a hole large enough for me to put my fist into, something gleams like glass. The hollow is lined with facets gathered in sixes which flash and glitter in the sun. I have seen something like this in church, on the great saints' days, when the light of the candles in the big chandelier kindles the stars in its hanging crystal. We children, lying, in summer, on the straw of the threshing floor, have told on another stories of the treasures which a dragon guards underground. Those treasures now return to my mind. The names of precious stones ring out uncertainly but gloriously in my memory. I think of the king's crown, of the princess's necklaces. In breaking stones, can I have found, but on a much richer scale, the thing that shines quite small in my mother's ring? I want more such. The dragon of the subterranean treasures treats me generously. He gives me his diamonds in such quantities that soon I possess a heap of broken stones sparkling with magnificent clusters. He does more. He gives me his gold. The trickle of water from the rock falls on a bed of fine sand which it swirls into bubbles. If I bend over towards the light, I see something like gold filings whirling where the fall touches the bottom. Is it really the famous metal of which twenty-franc pieces, so rare with us at home, are made? One would think so, from the glitter. I think of the king's crown, of the princess's necklace. I take a pinch of sand and place it in my palm. The brilliant particles are numerous, but so small that I have to pick them up with a straw moistened in my mouth. Let us drop this. They are too tiny and too bothersome to collect. The big, valuable lumps must be farther on, in the thickness of the rock. We'll come back later. We'll blast the mountain. I break more stones. Oh, what a queer thing has just come loose, all in one piece. It is turned spiral-wise, like certain flat snails that come out of the cracks of old walls in rainy weather. With its gnarled sides, it looks like a little ram's horn. How do things like that find their way into the stone? Treasures and curiosities make my pockets bulge with pebbles. It is late and the little ducklings have had all they want to eat. Come along, youngsters, I say to them, let's go home. My blistered heel is forgotten in my excitement. The walk back is a delight, as I think of all the wonderful things I have found. But a sad disappointment is waiting for me when I reach home. My parents catch sight of my bulging pockets, with their disgraceful load of stones. The cloth has given way under the rough and heavy burden. You rascal says father, at sight of the damage. I send you to mind the ducks and you amuse yourself picking up stones, as though there weren't enough of them all round the house. Make haste and throw them away. Broken-hearted, I obey. Diamonds, gold dust, petrified ram's horn, heavenly beetle, are all flung on a rubbish heap outside the door. Mother bewails her lot. A nice thing, bringing up children to see them turn out so badly. You'll bring me to my grave. Green stuff I don't mind. It does for the rabbits. But stones, which ruin your pockets, poisonous animals, which'll sting your hand, what good are they to you, silly? There's no doubt about it, someone has thrown a spell over you, poor mother. She was right. A spell had been cast upon me, a spell which nature herself had woven. In later years I found out that the diamonds of the duck pool were rock crystal, the gold dust, mica, but the fascination of the pond held good for all that. It was full of secrets that were worth more to me than diamonds or gold. The glass pond have you ever had an indoor pond? Such a pond is easy to make and one can watch the life of the water in it even better than outdoors, where the ponds are too large and have too much in them. 
Besides, when out of doors, one is likely to be disturbed by passers-by. For my indoor pond, the blacksmith made me a framework of iron rods. The carpenter, who is also a glazier, set the framework on a wooden base and supplied it with a movable board as a lid. He then fixed thick panes of glass in the four sides. The bottom of the pond was made of tarred sheet iron and had a trap to let the water out. The contrivance looked very well, standing on a little table in front of a sunny window. It held about 10 or 12 gallons. I put in it first some limey incrustations with which certain springs in my neighborhood cover the dead clumps of rushes. It is light, full of holes, and looks a little like a coral reef. Moreover, it is covered with a short, green, velvety moss of tiny pondweed. I count upon this pondweed to keep the water healthy. How? Let us see. The living creatures in the pond fill the water, just as living people fill the air, with gases unfit to breathe. Somehow the pond must get rid of these gases, or its inhabitants will die. This is what the pond weed does, it breathes in and burns up the unwholesome gases, changing them into a life-giving gas. If you will look at the pond when the sun is shining on it, you will see this change take place. How beautiful the water weeds are. The green carpeted reef islit up with countless sparkling points and looks like a fairy lawn of velvet, studded with thousands of diamond pinheads. From this exquisite jewelry pearls constantly break loose and are at once replaced by others, slowly they rise, like tiny globes of light. They spread on every side. It is a constant display of fireworks in the depth of the water. This is what is really happening. The weeds are decomposing, that is, separating into its elements, the unwholesome carbonic acid gas with which the water is filled. They keep the carbon to use in their own cells. They breathe out the oxygen in tiny bubbles, the pearls that you have seen. These partly dissolve in the water, making it healthful for the little water creatures to breathe, and partly reach the surface, where they vanish in the air, making it good for us to breathe. No matter how often I see it, I cannot help being interested in this everyday marvel of a bundle of weeds purifying a stagnant pool. I look with a delighted eye upon the ceaseless spray of spreading bubbles. I see in imagination the prehistoric times when seaweed, the firstborn of plants, produced the first atmosphere for living things to breathe at the time when the land of the continents was beginning to rise out of the oceans. What I see before my eyes, between the glass panes of my pond, tells me the story of the planet surrounding itself with pure air. About Hacker Noon book series, we bring you the most important technical, scientific, and insightful public domain books. This book is part of the public domain. Jean-Henri Fabre and Louise Hasbrook Zim, 2014. Insect Adventures. Urbana, Illinois. Project Gutenberg. Retrieved October HTTPS colon slash slash www. Gutenberg. Org. Cache. EPUB. 45812. PG 45812 images. HTML This ebook is for the use of anyone anywhere at no cost and with almost no restrictions whatsoever. You may copy it, give it away or reuse it under the terms of the Project Gutenberg license included with this ebook or online at www.gutenberg.org. Located at https colon slash slash www.gutenberg.org. Policy. License. HTML. Thank you for listening to this Hackernoon story, read by Artificial Intelligence. Visit hackernoon.com to read, write, learn and publish. Dot.